You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Pass rush coming, and Jones is able to get away. And now thinking first down, and Daniel Jones will get it. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, Football Grump, and with me as always is Mike the Cranky Fan. Hey, Grump. Long weekend, long week. Still this cold, whatever I have is still kicking my ass, but uh, it's been a lot to talk about, and it's been really exciting. You know, I always say that uh, everybody always wins the offseason, and right now I feel like we're NFL champs, uh, but... You know, I think I think you should feel good after a draft. I think you know everybody looks great on paper, and I feel good after reading what's on paper. But you know, the real work really begins almost immediately when you know looking forward to you know rookie camps and OTAs and all that stuff. But right now, I feel better about the organization than I did you know four days ago. I feel like I've done the intro for our podcast like a million times in the last seven days. Um, It's been a long, exhausting week and weekend, but that doesn't mean it wasn't a good week and weekend. We did a lot of cool stuff. We talked to a lot of cool people. Um, You know, we we had Bobby Skinner on from Talking Giants. We had Chris uh, DeAnnatena. We had Steffi Smalls on. And then, you know, I jumped on Talking Giants a couple of times throughout the draft on their live stream. We've talked to we a lot of you guys out there too. I mean, geez, I've had more DMs and just conversations with people than I've had with my wife in the last five days. So And keep it coming. Uh, yeah, not, sure. not, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I mean, talk to your wife, but like, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, feel free to reach out to us. We, we will answer. We'll talk. We love talking football. That's why we do this. So, but you know, it's, it's, let's, let's take a step back. Cause we didn't go over, uh, day three, and I was clearly exhausted after day two yeah. of the draft. Um, so well, let's let's run through it. So just you know, as a refresher, as if you guys need it, in the first round, the Giants traded back to the, to spot twenty, and they took Kadarius Tony out of Florida, wide receiver, five eleven, one ninety, super fast, four four speed, excellent leaping and high. Super twitchy. Yeah, even more really really so, more so yeah. than super fast, super twitchy. I like him. You know, he's not the most polished route runner because he's he's. We discussed this a little bit. He's newer to the position. You know, he he was a quarterback in high school, went to college, and he was kind of this. He was this gadget player because he's one of the fastest guys on the field, and in college, that's just enough. And he grew into the wide receiver position. So there's still room for him to grow as a route runner. We watched him grow as a route runner, but right now, what he does really well as a route runner is he uses his speed and suddenness to create separation. He's really good at identifying the moment the corner makes his move and then he explodes to get open. So he's fast anyway. He'll run at his like fast speed and as soon as he goes into his cut, he kicks it into a higher gear. And you can see it when you break it down. As soon as a corner flips his hips or opens his hips or bites down on a head fake that he does, he hits another gear and goes into his real cut. And that's how he gets so open. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's already something that is unteachable. You cannot teach the speed that he has. What you can teach is how to continue making his route running uh, better and what he can do at the top of a route. He is – the sky is the limit for this guy. It really is. I, I think what we need to do as Giant fans, again, because I've seen him probably more than anybody who's listening to this podcast has, is – Let's just set what the expectation is for him. You know, just because he was drafted in the first round, don't expect him to be a number one receiver because that's not what he is. That's not what his game is. What I like to say is kind of I'm looking at a potential thunder and lightning combination we have. You know, remember back when we had Brandon Jacobs and Ahmad uh, Ahmad Bradshaw, we had this thunder and lightning where Jacobs was kind of like the, you know, the, the, the rough, you know, the, the, the bullying running back who grinds out yards. And then Bradshaw was a change of pace who, you know, was, was quick and, and, and twitchy like that. But with, with Kenny Galloway and Canarius Tony, I think we're setting up for a thunder and lightning type of duo on this team. You know, Galloway's your number one, you know, outside guy. Tony's going to be, you know, your more shifty guy. He's going to be more of your slot one. You know, 
you're going to see him do end rounds. You're going to see, you know, maybe some jet sweeps possibly also, uh, you know, things that we tried to do in the offense last year, but we didn't have the right personnel to really run it. So don't look at this guy as, you know, this is your number one. that We didn't draft for the future as the replacement for Gale at some point. This is what his role is. And he could be really damn successful in this offense by being Kadarius Tony. So keep that in mind as we go forward. Think of that thunder and lightning analogy as we're watching this offense evolve over this year and next year and going forward. Absolutely. Um, yeah, the expectations have to be set, you know, realistically. Um, if you're checking him out for the first time and you see that he dropped a couple in the senior bowl, that's true. It's not a worry of mine. He had like no drops in college, yeah. like three, maybe drops are not really an issue with him. He actually has very, very good hands. He had a bad day at the senior bowl. Um, it is what it is. My biggest concern with him is going to be, you know, he can fight off jams at the line of scrimmage, but he is much better when he has a clean release. So what Florida did to help him get clean release is stacked, you know, wide receiver position and keeping him in motion. These are things that the Giants can easily do, but unfortunately did not do a whole lot of last year. Now we have new personnel, so I'm not going to just flame out and say that Jason Garrett is incapable of these things. Um, what I'm saying is that they didn't do it last year and that they should do it this year. Um, that is the, the easiest way to get Kadarius Tony to be effective is to make sure that he gets a clean release and help him out with that by putting him in motion. Um, I think this is interesting because people are like, oh, is he going to play the slot? Does this mean it's the end of Sterling Shepard? Is he going to be wide receiver three? Is this the end of Darius Slayton? I honestly think that this is, this is the dagger to Evan Ingram. I mean, right now... Immediately, Kadarius Tony is the fastest player on offense, and what that means is, and what did he do a lot of at Florida? Jet sweeps. You know, there's no way with Kadarius Tony on this roster that we're running a jet sweep to Evan Ingram, which, by the way, mostly didn't work very well because, as fast as he is, he's not quick and twitchy the way that Kadarius Tony is. So that whole package of plays where we kind of shoehorn the ball into Evan Ingram's hands because he's real fast and whatever, I have to imagine that that package of plays for him is gone and that he is going to have to be a tight end this year or he's still on the trading block as far as I'm concerned. What do you think? I agree. I mean, I think this is, you know, it's kind of open competition for all the guys that have been on this roster, you know, up until this point where they're fighting for their careers with the Giants going forward. They have to elevate their game. You have guys like, you know, Evan Ingram, who quite frankly haven't been pushed because there's nobody behind them to really push them, whether it's a specific position or within a scheme or whether, you know, the trust of the quarterback and offensive coordinator. And I think now, you know, we, we, we mentioned all along how there's different phases of a rebuild where you start where everything's a mess and you just have gaping holes everywhere to now we're at the point where we have a roster where you may not have a hole, but now we're fighting to get the best guy on there. And I think we mentioned it over over the weekend on Twitter that uh, you know somebody's saying something about we're going to start cutting starting players. And I responded, we were six and ten last year. If I'm cutting starting players from a six and ten team, it's not a bad thing. That means they probably weren't good enough to be play uh, you know members of a playoff caliber team. So that's we're getting competition for these things now, and that's something we haven't had on this team in key spots in quite a long time. We haven't had competition in, you know, the offensive line for a while. Some of these were receiver spots, you know, some of these places in the secondary where guys are playing because quite frankly, there's nobody else, you know, not their fault, but that's just the way it is. So, you know, I, I, maybe it's just because I'm getting old and, you know, I don't, your first love with the guys you remember when you were growing up, you always have soft spots for guys, you know, and, you know, back from my day, you know, the, uh, you know, the Mark Barbaros and, and the Bill Sims and all these. But as you get older and you just keep watching, you know, these guys keep rotating in and out and in and out and in and out. You don't have those emotional ties to these guys as much as you did. And to me, it's quite it's very simple. Step up. Do your job. If not, there's somebody behind you who's going to replace you. And I have no problem with that anymore. I don't. You know, I'm not nine years old. I don't have posters in my room anymore. I, you know, I just want the best guys out there to win. And I have no, you know, hardly have the emotional attachment to these guys that I did back when. Doesn't mean I don't love the team or don't like, you know, don't want guys to succeed. But I'm not going to be like, you know, 
at, at the risk of the team doing well, just, well, I still want Sterling Shepard because I like the guy. No, do your job or you'll be replaced. And I think that's where we're getting with this team right now. These guys that have been around for a while and you know, yeah, they suffered through multiple coaching staffs and multiple coordinators and all different things, but it's time, babe. Got to do your job. Earn your spot on this team now, or else you're going to be gone. Man, and and then that's a perfect segue into you know the next two rounds of the draft here, next three rounds of this draft, I would say. Um, in the second round, the Giants traded down again from 42 to 50, where they took Aziz Ojolari, the edge out of Georgia, 6'3", 240. Ojolari is somebody that I was very tepid on, and that's mainly because I kept seeing him mock to the Giants in the first round. I expected him, once we traded down from 11, to actually be the choice at 20. Then at 42. So to get him at 50, this is actually the range I had him in. So as tepid as I was on him, I can't hate this. It's a position of need. He's a good player, and we got him where he belongs. Perfect. He's a solid coverage outside linebacker. uh, The most refined speed rusher on the team right now, immediately. He has a decent package of pass rush moves, but also well-rounded in the run game, disciplined in setting the edge, maintaining zones and gaps. Uh, Georgia runs a very complex and aggressive pro-style defense. Uh, That allows him to transfer transition nicely into what we expect Patrick Grahams to be. Uh, So that's that's nice. Um, He's versatile. I mean, he played with his hand in the dirt as well as standing up. He mixed in some coverage, pass rush, and played down versus the run. He'll get reps right away. Uh, But I do want to tamper some expectations here. I'm not convinced that he's that much better than Lorenzo Carter or O'Shane Ziminis. Those guys are both coming off injury, and we didn't get to see them that much last year. But in the time that we did see them, Carter was playing very, very well. And I understand the ramifications of an Achilles injury, but, you know, Carter's been in the league a little while now. Ojulari's just moved up. And even though he is... One of the best edge rushers in this class. This is a very, very weak edge rusher class. He was taken at 50, and that's where he belongs. A second-round middle pick. So don't go crazy. But also, the other side of that coin, too, just when we say it's a weak class, that doesn't mean that these guys are not NFL starter caliber. I mean, they're just saying, you know, relative to other years where there's a potential, a couple of pro bowlers out there, we still, you know, this is not like you're settling for somebody. It's like, oh, this guy's a practice squad guy. These guys are going to be playing in the NFL and have nice careers. It's just maybe they just don't have the, potentially that upside that some other guys do. So, you know, this, this whole draft thing, and it happens to me every year where, you know, right now we're in draft grading season. Like what, what, what grade did the Giants get? What did the Jets do? You know, give them an A plus, an A minus, an F, blah, blah, blah. I, you know something? Your point was a very good one where – you get guys, you know, based on the value you think they belong. Did we do better than the value or less than the value of potential? You know, were they spots of need, not of need? But, you know, do I think, you know, is it a great draft or no? It's to be determined. But I, I, I think this, we make the leap so fast on based on what we got because you follow, uh, you know, analyst X draft board and we were lower than what that guy said that that means nothing for this thing so you know grump what i want to do and we'll you know maybe we'll do this now that the the draft is dying down is i want to go back and actually do a grading on the draft from four years ago okay and see kind of you know what our notes were back then about you know how we felt about the draft and actually grade it because that's when you grade it i think after four years it's you making the decision on the fifth year on the rookie contracts and you know, on your first round guys are, are these guys even in the league anymore? Are they starting? Are they scrubs? Are they on different teams? Um, so as we go through these different things, you know, the rest of these picks, I'm going to give you my thoughts on, yeah, that seems like, you know, that's going to be helpful or something, but I'm not going to grade. And I'm not certainly not going to be like, you know, that's a bust. We had a bad draft on these things. How do you overall just kind of, you know, yeah, that's just selling articles when they do that now. But, you know, the other thing, too, is that when you grade this draft, it's important to factor in the trades, and a lot of which are for sure. picks next year. So right. you can't even you can't even do an immediate grade on this draft until next year anyway. So right. it's it's all irrelevant. And also, you can't, even, you can't even grade trade versus trade because you have to look at what is 
what position will your team be in next year? And I don't mean what position in the draft, but are you a team that's going to be so capped out next year that you need extra picks? So it makes makes having draft picks more valuable to you than other years, you know, no matter who you actually draft. Because when you know a team like Philly and a team even like us, we're going to be in some cap, serious cap problems coming up, and we're going to be relying on younger guys. And the more picks we have next year means more to us than maybe having more picks did three years ago, for example. So it's really, as we go through this analysis, and Grump's going to do a great job of breaking down you know, who these guys are and what their strengths are and everything, try to do it in terms of this is the talent we're bringing in as opposed to making that snap judgment to grade or to be happy or mad if we got these guys. Just kind of take it in. And I think that's the best way to approach this, especially 48 hours out. Yeah. Um, in the third round, uh, you know, this is just a recap. Uh, the Giants moved up a couple of spots and they grabbed cornerback Aaron Robinson from UCF, 5'11", 190. Um, I love this pick. I think this is great value. I had him graded in the second round. He was my fifth best corner, my best slot corner. Uh, in fact, this is what I said when we recapped corners. Is a Florida product from UCF, Aaron Robinson. 5'11", 190. Good size, well-built. He's a little on the shorter side, but so so he may be a better fit for the inside, but he has scheme versatility. He's got pretty average speed, average quickness, but he plays with instinct, and he's another one of these guys that plays at 100 miles an hour. There is no hesitation in his game. He's physical, but not too handsy. He plays really well when he's down by the line of scrimmage, but he can turn and run with most wide receivers. I think he plays through the ball really well. He has really good timing to disrupt throws. He's pretty smart. He can get a little over-aggressive and a little out of position from time to time, but not too often. But he's really going to excel at the underneath game, so hence inside corner. He can play off, man, or zone really well. Um, he's gonna, So he's going to be able to move around in a versatile system. He's a strong physical tackler. He's aggressive. He plays at 100 miles an hour. I, I can't underline that enough. He's really good in blitz situations, which Patrick Graham will love. Uh, you know, Sometimes he can bite a little too hard on some fakes, be a little over-aggressive in, in the run game. Uh, but I really liked what I saw from Aaron Robinson. I think the game I watched was them against Cincinnati. And that game came down to the wire. I believe UCF lost in the closing minutes. So, you know, some of those biting on fakes might have been over-aggression due to a really, really close game or, or whatever. I, I, You know, I don't know. I don't have... Unfortunately, I am... I am Whack, and I don't have the time to watch like six games from each player. I would love to because it would make these things more well-rounded, and maybe I won't be going off on a limb too much. But I really like Aaron Robinson. He was my fifth best corner uh, on the list, and I would love if he fell somewhere around the third or fourth round. I don't think that's going to happen, but holy crap. If he is around that time where Giants are just ready to take talent, get this guy. Put him in the defensive backfield. You won't have to worry about an injured Darnay Holmes. You're upgrading over Julian Love, in my opinion. And, you know, maybe when you have to shift guys around or maybe you can't afford to keep Darnay Holmes because he outplayed his contract and what you're able to afford, you have a guy who can come right in and you don't miss a beat. So I, you know, that's that's all true still. I, I love his regression, his physicality. He's smart, quick with route recognition, plays tough at the line to jam receivers, fast enough to hang with some with most receivers deep if needed um he has really great timing short area quickness to break on the ball and is a willing hitter not afraid to play the run tough blitz off the edge continue backside pursuit and he has good motor to continue playing through the whistle even if the play is away from him believe it or not even at big schools even these high draft picks it's not a common thing to see that at this position anyway corners um He'll need to work on his handsiness, I think, at the NFL level and be a little bit more patient. He can sometimes smother a receiver or overrun a fake in the backfield or something. But uh, I think immediately he's going to compete with Darnay Holmes in the nickel spot. Um, I don't think he's going to win because I, I, I think he's got some refinement to do. And Darnay Holmes has already had a really, really good rookie year. But I think there's going to be packages for him to play week one. I truly believe that. He is that good. I think he's a second-round pick that foolishly fell into the third round. You know, having extra draft picks is not just for also getting more players. It's having the ability to maneuver more 
if there's somebody you want and you think, you know, you, that's the guy you got to have, you have the ability to package guys, you know, package picks and make it not kill your whole draft. So this is why, you know, the maneuvering we did put you in a position to make moves like this. Cornerback uh, is a position where, you know, we were talking a few months ago that we were worried about the depth behind the starters. And now, to our point earlier, now there's been more competition. You know, Darnay Holmes may, you know, play ahead of him, but we don't know. They're going to have to, he's actually now going to have to fight it out. You know, if we just, if we just said, you know, no, we're not drafting corner, we're good. He's probably going to go through a trading camp and not have to worry about looking over his shoulder as closely as he does right now. And that's a good thing. Yeah. So, um, let him go, let him duke it out. And, and the best guy plays and, you know, he'll be a, uh, you know, it's, it's okay to sit on the bench or, you know, get your little, you know, packages and stuff and be ready for 2022. Like a draft isn't about just this year or bust. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is one of the things that we talked about where, you know, cutting starters, we look at the, the defensive backfield is crowded with guys that started last year were immediate backups. And, you know, now it, some of those people we relied on last year and and played well won't be here. I don't think either this year or next year. So it's not a bad thing. It's just this is one of those spots. I think you could put a bullseye on and say somebody's got to go. Unfortunately, so it's a good problem to have. Um, and you know, again, the edge position in the fourth round, the Giants took Ellerson Smith, Northern Iowa. I loved this dude too. I had a third round grade on him, so he fell further than I thought. Um, this is what I said when we went over edge guys. And there was one dude that I don't think is on a lot of people's radars. Maybe I'm wrong about this, but I think if you get this dude and stash him in a fucking weight room for a year, you'd be doing yourself a service. Ellerson Smith from Northern Iowa. This dude's tape is excellent. And I, you know, obviously, grain of salt, Northern Iowa, and the competition that they face. But you know, they face North Dakota, North Dakota State. But six seven, six foot seven inches, about two hundred forty pounds. So he needs about ten to fifteen pounds of muscle. You know, um, throw on this dude's tape one day, and, and and just sit back and enjoy the show because, you know, like I said, he's very light, and I I I um, accept the fact that he needs to add some strength all over because 240 pounds isn't bad for the position, but at six, seven, that means that he's very lean. You know, that's, that's like, that's two inches taller than I would say is ideal length. And it's already about 10 pounds light for six, five. In my opinion, he should be around 250. Um, so he should probably be around 255. Um, but some of that also needs to be bulked. But anyway, he is so fast off the edge. He is lightning. And he uses that burst to just completely bounce off of blockers. He just runs full force into them, throws them back, and then redirects so that he can he can make his way to the quarterback. He is absolutely, for 6'7", the greatest bend I've seen around the outside. He has great closing speed. And most importantly, he hits aggressively. He hits with authority. He is a sure tackler. He's not a throw-a-shoulder-into-you guy. You know, he grabs and does not release. And he's... One of the other things that, like, you know, we can look at stat sheets and, and stuff like that, but one of the things about film that's so, uh, I, I guess, overlooked is that you can see things just like the fact that he's always around the quarterback. He may not register a pressure, he may not register a hit or a sack, but he's just always there. He's always in the backfield, he's always making a play or throwing things off or screwing things up. This is a dude that I would absolutely take a flyer on in the middle rounds. And, you know, maybe he makes the roster, maybe, maybe you know, he it's a practice squad, whatever. Um, but if, if you put him in a weight room and gave him a nice NFL nutrition and NFL um, workout, I think in a year you've got yourself a rotational guy and possibly better. Um, so definitely somebody to keep an eye on. Uh, that was my, my diamond in the rough find out of all this work that I did. And most of that is still true. Uh, but this is a luxury pick. Smith went to UNI mainly because he was 6'6 and a 190-pound tight end and defensive end. You know, 6'6, 190, I'm not sure if people really can grasp how thin that is. That is a full six inches taller than me and the same weight. Um, 
<laughs> you and I kept him in as an edge rusher and helped him gain some weight. He beefed up to about 240 pounds while he was there, which is great. Um, he's now listed as pro day as 252, which I don't think I knew at the time we did that episode. And at the senior bowl, he was 262. Um, and that's not that's not chubby weight either. Let's be honest too. You know, Northern Iowa is probably a nice school. They don't have nearly the budget 100%. as yeah, you're right. As a you know a power five school, and they don't have nearly the budget as a good SEC school, and they don't have nearly the budget as an NFL team does for strength and conditioning, nutrition, personal trainers, you name it. So when I hear that these guys need to put on a little weight or some muscle mass or some strength, those things don't bother me because that could very very easily. If these guys have, you know, the mental makeup and the will and the desire to make themselves bigger, stronger, and faster, the tools that'll be, you know, available to them are unlike anything you've seen at a small school like that. It's a hundred percent what I wrote in my notes. I said he's going to need to play at at least two hundred and seventy pounds at the NFL level, but he'll finally be able to access NFL caliber nutritionist strength and conditioning. Um, what I'm more worried about is somebody's ability to put on that weight. You know, weight concerns are a thing that does happen in the NFL. We just look at um, Dwayne Haskins. Some of these guys come into camp and they're exceedingly overweight. You know, one of the reasons why training camp is not as intense as it used to be is because most of these guys take their career very seriously and they work during the off season. Where in the '80s, the off season was vacation. Man, they came in, they needed to be whipped into shape. Ninety percent of these guys come into camp in shape already now. It's those random 10% guys. They come in a little bit overweight. You remember Albert Hainsworth in Washington was a big fiasco when Mike Shanahan got there because they paid this dude uh, nose tackle millions and millions of dollars. I think he was the highest paid player at that time when he got the contract and couldn't pass the conditioning test when Mike Shanahan got there. Um, So, you know... The fact that he was already able to gain this weight, and it's it's lean weight too. He actually has like a somebody was interviewing him about it. I think there's a video on YouTube of it, but it's it's lean weight. The fact that he was able to do this already means that I know he's going to keep it under control. Now he has the resources to make it work even better. Um, I think right now he's going to be contributing on special teams, but mostly third and long situations on defense if he plays any defense at all. Just get the quarterback. You know, even if he doesn't get home, his edge speed is unmatched on this roster. It should create a one-on-one opportunity somewhere for Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, Lorenzo Carter, Aziz Ojolari, somebody. Somebody will get one-on-one because of his speed. Just, even the threat of his speed off the edge is going to be enough to free somebody up to get home. And here's something to think about, too. You know, when you're talking about guys like he'll be coming and just get the quarterback. The expectation with this defense is it's going to be better than last year. And the expectation is... You might see more third and eight, third and nines than we did even last year, where he'll be able to go in specifically and do something, you know, that, you know, we need, you know, it's not going to be, you know, if we have a lot of like third and threes or third and third and short yardage, guys like him don't get on the field. The expectation for me fully is this out defense will be a lot better even than it was last year. And there'll be more situations for him to come in and do his thing and to showcase himself. So that's, Everything kind of is connected to each other, and I, I, you know he's going to be the I think the beneficiary of better circumstances than even last year's defense. Absolutely, I, I think there's definitely going to be packages for him to go in there and just do his thing, and he won't have to worry about much and know a whole bunch of the defensive playbook. He'll just have to, you know, just go get the quarterback. See, see quarterback, run. get quarterback, kill exactly. quarterback, and he doesn't even have to actually get there. He's just got to be fast, and that's what he is. And it's something that's not on this team. And, you know, there's legitimate concerns about his run defense. They're completely legitimate. He can get bowled over. He's light. He was light. First of all, the only game film we have from him, the the latest is from 2019 because Northern Iowa didn't play last year. So there's that to factor in as well. Uh, But, you know, just think of him in the same way you think of OCU Minora. For years, Giants fans... I heard the gripe. Yeah, sure, he sacks the quarterback a whole bunch, but every time they run the ball at him, it's a disaster. You know, that's something that we don't have on this team. We don't have a speed rusher, a pure speed rusher, the way he is. And that's why he would be on the field on third and one. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I think if, you know, he, if he becomes as good as Yuminura, that that's all we can hope for. Sure.
And also, let's you know, again, he didn't play last year. Yeah. So let's, you know, you're going from playing at a smaller school into the NFL. There's going to be a big, big learning curve. And again, we don't need him to be an all-pro or bust by October of 2021. If you draft for, you know, especially as you start going deeper in the draft, you get into the third, fourth, fifth round, you're thinking about 2022 and 2023 and beyond. So perfectly good with what, what, what his skill set is and what the expectation will be right now. Yeah. In the first of two six-round picks, the Giants picked running back Gary Brightwell out of Arizona. Um, I had not done any pre-draft work on him, so I had to look up as much as I could over the weekend. And um, he's 5'11", 215, big back with good speed, uh, one-cut runner, not afraid to stick his foot in the ground and just get north and south. Uh, he lacks a variety of open field moves, but he manages to turn defenders around anyway. He, he has excellent start and stop ability in the open field. Um decent receiving ability. He struggles with pass blocking. He knows it. Um, sometimes it's the wrong assignment, but more often than not, he's got the right assignment and he just kind of absorbs the block. And if the right guy is hitting him, he just gets annihilated. Um, but he you does. Could say, well. You could say you could say it though about most running backs as well. Yeah, it's true. Um, but it's something that he knows is a weakness, and he's actively been working on it. Apparently, according to interviews with him, um, he welcomes contact. I love that. He's not afraid to lower his shoulders and run through defenders with a full head of steam. I, you know, he gets into the open field and he could run out of bounds, but he's he's 215 pounds running at full speed, and there's a, you know, 200 pound safety just kind of standing there. Run his ass over! Don't run out of bounds! Come on! And uh, I, I love that. Um, the only thing is with him that it truly worries me is ball security might be an issue. Um, he only really carried the load as the number one back at Arizona for one season, but he had five fumbles, only three of which were lost. But still, I don't care how many were lost. I care how many times you put the ball in the turf. That could five be, times is a lot. That could be taught. Especially yeah, I, think, I think so position. too. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's, it's different than saying Daniel Jones fumbles. That's something different. A running back, we've seen millions of examples in the NFL of technique or, or what practice or whatever they do, but we've seen – you know, loose loose hands get resolved pretty quickly. Yeah, and Arizona sucks. So, <laughs> I mean, it's not like he he was. Uh, he's it's not like he's at Alabama where he's playing with a, a pro team, basically. You know, and then also he's not going to carry it. If if we're in a situation where he has to carry the ball twenty times a game, we have much bigger problems than anything else going on. Um, and then in the second of. Two six-round picks. We picked corner Rodarius Williams for Oklahoma State. I'm not too high on him. Um, he is fast. He's Greedy Williams' older brother. Weird how that happens, that he's the older brother of a guy who's drafted two years ago, but it happens. Um, he's really fast. My biggest thing with him is that um, I don't love how not physical he is. Um, and you can argue that that's him like not getting penalties, but... minimal effort and hitting and tackling is a problem I think I I don't think he's ever shed a wide receiver block in his life he gets completely wiped out of plays just no aggression but his downfield ability to hang with some of the fastest receivers is something that can't be discounted so if they can get it in his head to be more physical he can contribute otherwise he's a six round corner I'm not really that worried about you know a six round running back is somebody who can get decent playing time a six-round linebacker is someone who might end up with some playing time. You know, we sometimes see it with offensive linemen. There are certain positions like quarterback and corner and safety where these guys, at best, are special teams players. So I'm not really all that worried about Rodarius Williams, but he has some traits that our other corners don't have, and that's long speed. We had a conversation. I think it was with Bobby about. Uh... Would you be shocked if we double dipped at the cornerback position? I think one of you were like, "I would be really, really surprised if we did." <laughs> so, were you surprised that we, we took, even if it's somewhere like far deeper in the in the draft, that we took a second corner and didn't just wait to like an un, you know unrestricted free agent we just signed off the street? Um, I'm not surprised at that so much. At, when you consider this pick, this being the double dip pick. You know, if we had double dipped at corner at like, you know, two and three or something like that, that would have shocked the shit out of me. I would not have expected that at all. But once you add in a sixth round corner, I think you're looking at special teams value. What surprises me 
is that they see that in him. I know he's fast, but special teams, I feel like those guys are probably the most physical guys on your roster most of the time. Which special teams is he uh, like a punt returner or just like a gunner? Type I guy? would I would say just special team wherever he, they can fit him in on kickoffs. Okay. On you know, I don't think that he has. I, I I didn't see anything about him being a punt or kick returner. Um, but you know, I don't know. I I've never really heard six round corner being like your starter. I mean that those that's like a fluke story. So. I'm not that worried about that. Um, undrafted free agents. Only three, and it's expected to stay small. Um, ah. There's there's some interesting names in here. Sure. Uh, the Giants did not address offensive line to the chagrin of many of their fans. However, um, you get to a certain point in this draft, and none of those guys are going to be good enough to help you out Boy, anyway. Boy, you just nailed it because I know there was a flurry of people complaining about, you know, you know, when we get to round three, four, five, why don't we take an offensive lineman? And then again, it's the Gettleman. Late. And then the Gettleman people were, you know, the anti Gettleman ones are like, he's doubling down with his comments and the arrogance. He thinks his offensive line is good enough. It, you're right. Guys down there, I mean, there are exceptions. And don't throw exceptions to me as like, you know, oh, you see, vast majority of offensive linemen, if they're not drafted in the first two to three rounds max, most likely have no impact on your starting five. And that's just a simple thing. So if you're drafting down there, you know, if we need to fix this offensive line going forward, we need starters. You know, someone has to come in and become the right tackle. You know, right guard needs to be addressed. It's not by bringing in someone that we think might be a fringe starter. We have, we have a bunch of those already. We can get those guys right now. So it's not suited to just to say you drafted one, just to say you did. That doesn't do any good for anybody. So if it wasn't, you know, mission one to do it in the first round or second round, you're better off just not wasting your time and we'll we'll address it some other way. And then that doesn't mean that there's nothing that there's something wrong with taking an offensive lineman that late. It's just expecting anything from them. And again, you are never, ever, ever drafting a position. You are always, always, always drafting a player. If there is a player down there that plays offensive guard that for some reason you think actually can fight for a starting spot on your roster, then you take them. That you graded, not yes. what other guys thought. We you graded. You looked at him. You scouted him. You did the analysis. You interviewed him. You know the guy. And you're like, I'm. You know the way I and we collectively as an organization judge talent doesn't make any sense to us why this guy is still here and we're drafting. Yeah, but, or it's just, that, but it's also yeah. knowing your own roster. This guy right here is as good as and can be better than my starting left guard or whatever. Then, then fine. But you know, if they're not going to push the starters, then you get the better player that's sitting there, and they did that. You know, so whatever. But getting undrafted free agents is practice squad and depth. And that's not pushing for a starting spot. So don't expect the two guys I'm about to mention to push for any starting spots, but rather at best make the roster and be depth, which can totally happen. I'm not I'm not trying to cast that as a long shot. It's definitely possible. But they took uh, Jake Burton from Baylor, 6'6", 305. He was a transfer, graduate transfer from UCLA where he played right tackle, went to Baylor and played right guard. Um, big, strong, has good anchor and pass blocking, uh, controls defenders well when he does lock on. Um, he plays with good pad level. He drives to move and stall defenders in the run game. He's not very nimble. He can pull when asked, but he's he's a clunky 305 pounds. Um, sometime, he has some lowlights. Sometimes he'll dip his head and he can be thrown around and look silly. Um, the biggest problem for him is that he does not punch with his hands enough. He does not use his hands enough. And when he does, he uses them too late. So when he goes up against defenders who are good hand fighters, he gets all off balance and and defeated. But when he gets his hands up early, he locks on and he's strong enough to control those guys. So that's going to be something to work on. Also, they took interior offensive lineman Brett – correct me here – Brett Heggie. Brett Heggie. Okay. Florida, 6'4", 310. Played all three offensive – line spots in the middle. Left guard, center, right guard. I believe he was recruited to play center, but kind of only did that when injuries happened. So, he stepped up to the plate. I didn't see a single bad snap from him. You know, um, 
and uh, he's versatile. He played all three. So why don't you talk a little bit about it? Yeah, I mean, the guy's a Swiss Army knife. Um, his biggest problem, I mean, he's been around forever. I mean, Jim McElwain recruited him. So we're talking, you know, five, six years ago that, you know, the, the whole coaching staff before for a whole completely different offense than what we run now. Um, his problem was just staying on the field sometimes. Like he would have a lot of little, uh, lot of little injuries here and there. I think he had a concussion one time he's had little things that just kind of nagged. Um, part of the reason I think he came back last year too is just to kind of help his draft sets by actually trying to be healthy and um, you know not great at any position, but you can slip. You know if starting center went down, he played center. You stick him at right guard if you had to. Uh, if the left guard was doing a bad job, he came in there. So he's kind of all over the place. Um, I, I think to your point, what you said before, I don't see him. I didn't think he was going to be one of these guys that's going to come out of, of the draft and, uh, you know, be a starter anywhere. I mean, the, the, giant, uh, the Gators offensive line has been pretty piss poor the last couple of years. So saying he can play positions, it's not like it's, again, the seven blocks of granite on that team by any stretch. Um, but, you know, he he's a uh, he's a leader. He's a captain on the team, works hard. You can you can slot him in any spot. So one of these guys that you may surprise and actually make the final roster, even though he may not have the uh, wow you with his film. Yeah, just because that's the kind of guy he is. And, and he's intelligent. There's no way that you play all three of those spots without being intelligent. Um, I actually thought he went that to he, Florida. I, I mean, what, what do you want? He went to Florida. Oh, give me a break. He's obviously smart. Um, I actually thought that he was pretty good. You know, watching his film, I, I liked a lot of what he did. He, you know. He's not super impressive. There's a reason he went undrafted. I'm not trying to say that, but pretty solid at anticipating stunts, which is one of the harder things to do because you know when you're in the interior, you don't see them as well. You're not on the edge. Um, decent pass blocking ability. I think he's going to struggle against uh, like a nose tackle if he's playing center. Like somebody lined up right over him that's big and strong. I think he'll struggle. Um, but if he gets help from the inside, he's. I think he'll be all right. Um, you know, and again, he wins in the ground game with angles, not with power. Uh, so, I honestly think that most of that would be improved just by simply getting him to bend at his knees a little bit more because he's playing too high. His leverage is all off. Um, and so, you know, he, he corrects that by getting the proper angles on defenders and just kind of manipulating them enough for running back to run past them. Uh, but I think that he can do better. You know, I, I don't think it's a limitation that he has. I think it's something that needs to be really refined for him. Um, and I think that he's really fast to get out of his stance and get to the second level and pull. You know, it, those are those are things that are really good traits. I don't think that he's bad at all. Again, with him, the same as with Jake Burton, can sometimes dip his head and be made to look silly. Puts his head down and defenders will just toss him around. Um, that's another thing he's got to correct it. It's a common thing I see though with with defender with uh, offensive linemen coming out of college. Um, lastly, they picked defensive end Raymond Johnson the third from Georgia Southern, six three two seventy. He kind of looks more like a four three defensive end to me. Uh, I read some scouting reports that said that he would be a good five technique on the defensive line. Sure, um, I guess he's he's big and strong. You know he's he's. 6'3", 270 is already a good height weight. You know, it's not super long, so he's not an edge guy in a 3-4, but 5 technique sounds about right. 3-4-5 technique, somewhere in there. Basically the Leonard Williams position. Um, Big, strong, not very fast, doesn't have good bend around the edge. It's kind of the reason why I don't think he got drafted, but I think he's a solid run defender who has some pass rush ability. Uh, I wouldn't get my hopes up with him, but... You know, those preseason games in the fourth quarter, we can all be rooting for him on Twitter when he gets a sack on nameless backup quarterback for the Jets, you know. Um, but I want to I wanna just look at something really quickly before we end this. This defense right now, they're starters. I'm not even sure who they are in certain spots. You know, safety, Jabril Peppers, Xavier McKinney. You got Julian Love on the bench. Okay, fine. Outside corners, James Bradbury, Adoree Jackson. You've got Isaac Yadam, Sam Beal, Rodarius Williams, Quincy Wilson, all on the bench. Um, inside corners, Logan Ryan, Darnay Holmes, Aaron Robinson. Inside linebackers, Blake Martinez, Tate Crowder, Reggie Lagland. I'm not sure who the starters are there. 
Um, on the bench, Trent Harris and Devontae Downs, TJ Brunson. On the edge, Aziz Ojolari, Lorenzo Carter, O'Shane Ziminis, Ellerson Smith, Carter Coughlin, Cam Brown. All of those guys saw, except for Smith, saw, and Ojolari saw time last year as edge rushers. Someone is not making the roster. On the defensive line, Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, Efedi Odenegbo, Danny Shelton, Austin Johnson, BJ Hill, RJ McIntosh. These, all of these guys are starters that I just listed. Those are all starting quality players in the NFL. On any given play, four of them are going to be on the bench. There is no reason in my mind that I can think of right now, barring injury, because I'm not going to predict injuries, that this shouldn't be a top five stop unit. I really don't know where the weakness is now. The weakness? This might be a little weird, but the weakness of this defense might be our offense. That's the yeah, correct. That's you know something. I mean, maybe maybe a more solidified edge guy who puts a you know more consistent you know pass rush off the edge. But let's see what we got so far before we kind of make that uh, jump to that conclusion. But to me, the biggest thing that could potentially slow this defense down is if that the offense can't sustain drives and it has to be on the field a lot. For Forty-five or minutes. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Or 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 they're constantly you know have bad field position where they're, you know, they're in high pressure situations constantly. I mean, that to me is, could be the, and, and we don't know. I mean, we're a lot of weapons back from last year. that We didn't have last year between, you know, Barkley and, 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 and the receivers. Um, it's really going to fall on that offensive line. The offensive line might be the most, and, and Daniel Jones. Mm. Those are, the, those are the two most important positions on our defense right now. I honestly believe that. Yeah. And just because I did it for the defense, I'm going to do it for the offense too. You know, our our tackles rotation right now, Andrew Thomas, Matt Parrott, Nate Solder. Someone's on the bench there. I'm not sure who. The, the coaching staff's not sure, honestly. Um, inside linemen, Will Hernandez, Nick Gates, Shane Lemieux, Kenny Wiggins, Zach Fulton, Jonathan Harrison. I'm not sure who the best three are there. I, I'm really not. Um, at tight end, I honestly think Kyle Rudolph gets the nod above Evan Ingram as your number one tight end. But Kyle Rudolph, Evan Ingram, Caden Smith, Levine Toilolo, four guys right there. I, you know, All of which earned snaps last year. Wide receiver, Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, Kadarius Toney, Dante Pettis, John Ross, CJ Board, Austin Mack, Derek Dillon, Dillon David Sills. When we talk about last year, and you know, just getting guys that had playing time last year that now you're getting rid of. I look at this like CJ Board was what we considered a good receiver for us. Good air quotes, good possession receiver to come off the bench. Now he might be the last wide receiver on the roster. Um, you know, over guys like Austin Mack, Derek Dillon, and David Sills, who might have more upside, but don't need it anymore um quarterback daniel jones mike lennon fullbacks we got two guys battling galaspia and penny running back barkley booker brightwell and then you know know, i'm not even sure that brightwell who knows right so you have jordan chun taekwon mizzle sandro platz goomer that that the offense could get better but still we're talking about guys that started for us last year for more than one game, not probably not going to be on the roster. I think you're going to see the biggest thing. I, I just said it was offensive line and Daniel Jones, and I think both of those you know components will see marked improvement for no other reason that they have an off season to prepare. I think the jump you're going to see. I think you'll see a bigger jump from the offensive line and from the rookies from last year. Um, I think Andrew Thomas is going to play like what we expected him to be from a top five pick. And I think just the overall, just having the coaching that they need to have when they were rookies and the cohesion of developing during an off season and a proper training camp and proper preseason will show in spades, you know, marked improvement. And I think that, um, and same with Daniel Jones, I think just, you know, being more comfortable being in a system already, even though it was kind of thrown together last year, allows for them to be, you know, closer to what we think his ceiling can be. I think it's too early to kind of 
say, this is what Daniel Jones is, take it or leave it. But I think you'll get a lot closer to what that, that ceiling ultimately will be, you know, in, in this year. Yeah. And I'm honestly excited. I think they did a great job in the draft. I'm excited to see how much better this defense can be because I just, I'm a defense guy. I've always liked defense more. Um, so I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm happy. I'm, I'm ready to go. I gotta, I gotta control myself to calm down a little bit here and just let the process go out into training camp, etc. But I'm, I'm feeling good after the draft. Yeah. I mean, again, everybody always wins the off season. Every team does. Every team feels great about their picks. But again, this is all on paper and this is all projecting what we want, what we think is right and wrong. But now it starts right now. It starts day one, week one. If you're getting these guys ready to produce on the field and practice before training camp happens, before the season started. But yeah, I mean, I think the optimism, you know, I feel good that we are, we've left the draft in a better place than when we started it. And I think we've, Helped even for next year's draft, having getting setting ourselves in, in, in place to continue successfully rebuilding, not just rebuilding by adding bodies, but actually adding bodies that will have relevance to, uh, you know, hopefully less and less of a rebuild, but more and more of a refinement of a roster. So kudos to everybody involved um, all the way down. And that's going to do it for this episode. We'll have another one tomorrow, recapping the rest of the NFC East. But in the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at football underscore grump. And this podcast is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes. I said that already. Google Play. That's the other one. Uh, but also everywhere because it's a podcast, and that's just kind of how it goes. So be sure to follow us there, and you'll get all these episodes in your inbox every morning that they're available immediately without having to look for them. Catch me as always at the Cranky Fan. There's obviously a lot going on. We're still going to be breaking down the draft. I appreciate everybody who's reached out, DMing me and reaching and you know, having conversations has been great. And obviously everything else is going on. Is uh, Knicks are up by 30 here as we record this on a Sunday night. That's always fun. And uh, you know, my hockey team's about to make the playoffs. My baseball team can't score a fucking run, but that's that's for the Just Race podcast, which hopefully none of you will ever have to be tortured to listen to. But Catch you at the Cranky Fan. All right, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow. Enjoy. Enjoy.